Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast, brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. I'm Carter, here with my favorite co-host, the one and only Perry. What's going on, man? Oh, not much, brother. Good to see you again, and good to see good to see our esteemed guest again tonight. We were just talking, it's been too long. I'm excited to catch up with this guy. He's, I know he's got some, some exciting uh, some news and, and stuff to, to get us up to speed, so stoked for this conversation tonight, man. Heck yeah. Uh, this week we're joined by uh, Jeff Vanderheiden, owner of uh, Buck Fever Seed Company and Big Buck Killer. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess your son is Big Buck Killer this yeah. season, but yeah. you've, uh, you've been getting after it, dude. It's been fun. Yes, kind of sir. Watching your journey. So welcome back to the podcast, man. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Nice to talk to you both and see you both here again. Yeah, absolutely. We were just talking before we mash record. Like, when was the last time we caught up? And uh, it was episode 77, so it was a long time ago. Yes. Yep, too long. We, With we you tried and, uh, multiple times to make this happen, and it just fell through every time. Family stuff and whatever it was, but. Yeah. Um, for context, for maybe new listeners or new team members or people new to the podcast, uh, Jeff, would you mind giving a quick little rundown on kind of who you are and what? Uh, Buck Fever does? Sure. Um, yeah, like I said, uh, I'm the owner of Buck Fever Seed Company. I'm just a small food plot seed company. Um, I really try to key into um, the guys that, uh, you know, need need some help. I like, um, you know, assisting people and trying to get the best results possible um, on their food plots. We all know um, everybody works hard and, um, uh, everybody's time is important and everything. And so results are the most important thing to me. And I put together quality seed blends and use quality seed products, um, to sell to people for, you know, for trying to get those best results for everybody. And, um, also pride myself in some really good customer service and trying to help anybody that might have questions. So that's, that's kind of um, where I would differ myself from any of like your big box stores, you know, seed companies and stuff like that. So really pride myself on the customer service side of it and trying to get everybody the best results possible. Yeah, absolutely. Not to pump your tires too much, but I've been a customer now of yours for two years. My last two seasons I've used your seeds and the plots have been phenomenal, but two, you and the other Jeff, Jeff Nagel, your buddy, yeah has kind of taught me how to wade into this world of do-it-yourself food plots on a micro scale, right? I don't have any major farms or anything huge like sure. that that you see on TV, but um, small enough plots where uh, y'all both have been extremely uh, receptive and responsive to all my you know, infantile questions about food plots and <laughs> trying to get yeah. into it. Well, that's just the thing. It's uh, it can be overwhelming for people that try to get into it. Um, you know, just uh, right out of the gate. I mean, there's just so many different things. Um, you know, soil type, um, weather conditions, placement of the plot. You know, what you're trying to plant, what you're trying to, you know, key in on, or what time of the season. I mean, there's just so many different things involved. So it can be very overwhelming for people. That's what we like to kind of talk people through. What your end goal is and and, you know, try to get people geared down the right road instead of a lot of fails, you know, right out of the gate. So that is definitely part of it. For sure. And just understanding, like, 
you know, cause you've been like, all right, what equipment do you have? Right. Yes. And the answer is not a, not a ton. Right. And you're like, that's all right. We can, we can work with that. Yep. Um, you don't have to have the big giant tractor with the big giant set of cutting discs and the cult to packer and the, you know, fertilizer and sprayers and boom sprayers yeah. and everything else that comes with the big operations. Um, you can have successful plots and I can personally attest to this. I've killed a couple of really nice bucks off my plot, off your seed on my plots here last two seasons. Um, and they've been holding those deer, especially right now, right? In these later, um, yeah, absolutely. Later, later weeks of the season. Um, and you can do it with not a lot of equipment. Correct. Yeah, that's that's the best part. I mean, there's multiple ways to get it done. And so, um, yeah, you know, that's one of those things. That's why I like to talk through it with people, what you do have available. And we can find something to fit, um, you know, what exactly what you're doing. So, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of at an interesting point in the season. And I want to talk about your season so far, kind of how your your plots are doing and what's what's doing the best and what's crushing it and you got some new stuff out that i haven't used yet but um also as the seasons are kind of winding down already we should be thinking about what is spring going to be looking like too right and i want to talk about that too because yeah for sure yep yeah. i mean it's coming fast enough already i mean we're going to be here to christmas before you know it but uh yeah i mean People are already, depends on what part of the country you're in, but I mean, people are already thinking about, um, you know, what quote unquote, the frost seeding of clover and stuff like that going on, um, in the Midwest and stuff that starts in, can start as early as the end of March, you know? So, um, that'll be here before we all know it in the South. Um, some of that even earlier. So just kind of depends on where you're located, but yeah, um, it, it will be happening soon enough for sure. Yeah, and selfishly, Perry and I are on a lease together on his family's farm in southwestern Virginia, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna want your advice on what we need to start thinking about planting this spring up there, and then yeah, this coming that fall. Great. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> we can definitely work on a plan. We like a plan. That yeah. we do. Well, cool, man. How's your season been so far, Jeff? From a hunting perspective and then from a food plot perspective well i tell you what as we all know we everybody rides a roller coaster right but uh, the roller coaster of a season it has been for me um we started so uh being from iowa um we have been in a drought and continue to be in a drought here um but fortunately enough um i did work very hard on getting seed in the ground and capitalized on a couple little rains that we have. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you're following parts of the Midwest, but we're still in, um, what we would call like a severe drought in most parts of where we're, we're at, like in our part of Iowa, that, there's no subsoil moisture at all. I mean, it's my, I got ponds that are six to eight feet low right now. Um, and I know some of my guys in Nebraska and stuff have got ponds that are completely dried up at this point, even, I mean, it, we're just that short on, on long-term moisture, but I was fortunate enough to catch a couple rains and got seed in the ground and fertilizer and poured the fertilizer to it and whatever, knowing that we didn't have moisture and I got lucky enough and I have a, a pile of food this year. So I'm really hoping, um, that it pays off for me. I mean, it has paid off, I guess. That'll be part of my story here with my 
with the way my season went. But uh, right out of the gate, um, going into youth season, which started uh, the third weekend in September um, here, my son, I got my son out and on our first sit out over um, our blueprint plot, which is, uh, you know, our Braska mix, um, he shot the biggest buck on the farm. So <laughs> we had <laughs> we had our number one target buck came in with about uh, ten minutes illegal left and put his head down and fed at fifty yards and um, Henry was uh, able to make a perfect shot um, on him and the deer actually um, just barely made it off the plot and it was a great hunt I don't know if anybody's uh, been able to check it out on on uh, wildest dreams tv or not but uh it's posted up there if anybody on the youtube channel if anybody gets a chance to watch it we appreciate it but uh it was it was just a super fun evening i don't it's hard to put into words i get just as much excitement out of uh out of out of something like that than um than i do with killing one myself at this point so for anybody that has family friends or kids involved you can probably understand the the feeling of that but I don't know who was more excited, me or him. But <laughs> it, was, it was good. It was just a fantastic night. I don't know. We had a lot of, you know, we had plenty of deer out in the field and and um, just worked out to where he came. I mean, we knew there was a chance it could happen. I had him on camera pretty regular coming to the food plot. So just goes, you know, that's right there out of the gate. Just goes to show you that, you know, your preparation and all your hard work that you put in in the summertime, it, you know, really truly does pay off you know i mean that's that's just it we've had the opportunity almost you know the last probably three seasons where i've really focused on trying to put green food source in and you know almost every year we've had the opportunity this is just the first well last year he killed his first buck and then this year he killed undoubtedly the biggest buck on the farm so yeah yeah <laughs> deer, nice deer, uh, we had named, deer we had named stranger we had two years of history and uh he we did put a tape on him he ended up going 167 and seven eighths is what we rough scored him at so nice. pretty good for a nine-year-old boy i'd say <laughs> i'd say yeah that's awesome jeff <laughs> yeah. yeah man that's so that's, that was, that's that so was cool. great and then uh my season after that, um, of course, then I switched gears, tried to pick up a second shooter on the farm, and um, I did end up having a couple good bucks show up on the farm that I was chasing, and I did have the opportunity in October, um, and I I missed one, so it's my own fault. I shot with my bow. I shot right underneath one, and it was just my own fault. It was a little longer shot than I normally like to take, but the circumstances were right and I I just missed. I don't have any excuses for it other than, you know, I just I missed him. So I shot right under him and and so I can't, you know, I don't know how you can't complain about it, right? I had the opportunity to shoot one and then I continued chasing a couple of my targets and um just I had a lot of encounters this year with deer just had a hard time getting them into bow range, you know. I mean that's just part of it. So I don't you know, my effective range or whatever, I, I like to stay under 50 yards if I can and even closer, if you know, the better for me, but, uh, I don't like shoot, you know, that far if I don't have to. So, um, anyway, so yeah, just getting a good, you know, good setup. And then, you know, the challenges that I don't know if anybody, you know, um, films or anything like that, but I self film, 
pretty much all the time. I mean, on occasion, I might have a camera guy with me, but not very often. Most of the time, I'm self-filming. And if any of you have done that before, you'll understand that that whole moment gets really hectic when you're trying to film and execute a shot and, you know, make judgments on deer and, you know, all those things go into it. So I had another encounter with one that I probably now is on my list of shooters that I should have shot. And I decided I didn't, didn't do it because it was kind of a hectic situation. So it's just one of those, one of those things. I don't know. It's one of those. So we're going to see, I have high hopes. Um, So right now here in Iowa, we are in um, the shotgun season. It's the second season shotgun. Um, And so my archery season is closed right now during the shotgun seasons. And we have like to get through this coming weekend, this Sunday, and then shotguns done. And then our late season muzzleloader and archery opens back up again. So I'm anxious to get back, back after them. Um, this past weekend, um, I guess actually it'd be two weeks ago during the first season, um, shotgun, uh, Henry had a, a doe tag yet. And so we went out and filled a doe tag. Um, he shot a doe uh, off the property with the 350 legend. So that was fun. So we got that out of the way too. So right now, uh, he's up two deer to my nun, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's been a good season. Um, so I can't, I can't complain. You know, I've had opportunities that I've seen, you know, my target bucks multiple times. I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good in that aspect. I just haven't been able to close the deal yet. So I, I don't know how it goes for you guys, but I mean, if you, you'll probably know when you start hunting certain deer versus just hunting a deer, then the, the challenge obviously goes up drastically at that point. So, oh, yeah. and and that's where I'm at. I'm trying to close the chapter on deer that we have like some sort of history with or something that, you know, makes a story instead of just shooting any random, you know, buck at this point. So that's kind of the fun for me. Yeah, Jeff, I feel that. Jeff, I want to, I want to go back to, to the, uh, the start of the season, if that's okay. And, yeah. and your son's, your son's success on, on that buck, um, on stranger. So you, you talked about the drought um, there in Iowa, and, and that's something that we've had uh, this year as well here in the South. You know, a lot of the South was, was in a drought there at yep. the end of the summer and going into the fall and early season. So just if you would real quick, um, it, it seems like, you know, it seems like for us, like it, it's, it's not uncommon that it seems like, you know, every August it just, it turns off hot and dry and, yeah. you know, early September, about the time that we're all really gearing up for those early season warm season food plots, you know, here in the South, unless you, unless you get lucky with some hurricanes that come in or, you know, like you say, you can time those, those right. specific and sporadic precipitation events. Just, um, what, what is your strategy for approaching those early season, you know, warm season plots, um, yeah. you know, anticipating drought conditions? Right. So this is just, and I'll probably have people that would argue this with me, but in my experience, and what I have tried to do and have other guys that I work with try to do different timed plannings. Um, you know, I don't know, people that follow Facebook or social media or whatever, you see a lot of people talking about not planning your brassica plots until, I mean, some people even talk about not planting them until like the end of August, you know, in different places or things like that. I have started to plant 
on the earlier side. I even plant like I started in mid July this year putting my brassica plots in the ground and I got lucky and caught some rains in July and once the plants now this might not work everywhere because it just depends on but if you're in an area like let's say here in Iowa where we get hot and humid still we have a lot of humidity or very dewy mornings i don't know like you in the south if you have a lot of dewy mornings or if there's a heavy dew if you can get the plants up to where they have a a sizable leaf or a, a decent sized leaf where they collect water i think the dew keeps those plants going even if you have dry because we had plenty of hot and dry this year i mean we had 110 degree you know, heat index days, you know, or whatever. I mean, we had that for a week straight and we had zero moisture for like 30 days in a row or whatever. And the dew, I think, keeps them going. You have to get the plants to like a, a sizable leaf, though. That's like the key. So if you don't have rain, I mean, frankly, there, if you don't have any rain to get the plants out of the ground, I just, there's, there's no help for that, right? But um, but if you can get them out of the ground on a rain that gets them up far enough to where they start putting on a leaf, I feel like the dew and stuff keeps them going. And then a lot of guys will, um, you know, say, well, you planned them too early. Now they're going to mature before the season starts. Well, what I've found in my experience is that even if you plant them early and then we do hit that dry spell, I feel like it slows the growth down to where they still don't mature out early enough. Does that make sense to people? Like they just, it kind of stunts the growth, right? It's not, if, you know, yes, if we did get rain, like weekly rains or we had a really wet year or something, yes, you might get some that might actually, you know, go to seed before you get to the season or something like that. But that's kind of the risk you take. But, you know, looking at the forecast, knowing that it does get dry for a period of time. I've been safe with it now doing it that way for the last couple of years. And it's paid off to where I'll at least have one or two plots that do really well. If I start planting early versus the ones that I wait on and don't plant and that I don't catch any rain and get them out of the ground real late. You know, does that, does that make sense? It's, yeah, for I don't sure. know. Uh, and this, you know, this all of course is just based on what your weather conditions and what, and what happens so there's probably lots of variances to to that but that's how i have combated like not getting skunked on food plots is trying to get the seed in the ground earlier than later and i have had to go back and reseed stuff before if you just you know if you just don't go if you just go too long you know with no no moisture on the ground there's just unfortunately there's just not much you can do about it so is your full potential something that could be used to combat a situation like a drought? Yeah, so it, it definitely helps um, with your plants retaining moisture and um, helps strengthen your roots um, to, to pick up more moisture. Um, I wouldn't say it makes them drought resistant, you know, by any means. You still have to have some sort of moisture, but um, it, it it does help with that. I mean, that it unlocks your your soil um, and basically allows your plants roots to strengthen and help uptake moisture and nutrients better. That's what that is designed for. So yes, treating it with that um, is definitely helpful. Um, you know, that along with fertilizer is, 
um, is, you know, a great combination to help. Um, like the brassica plots, obviously you want to make sure they get plenty of nitrogen on it. So, you know, I like to use like a slow release nitrogen, um, a stabilized, you know, you know, urea or something like that and help try to get those up as quick as possible. So, um, fertilizing at planting, um, is a great way to do it. So, um, a lot of times I'll tell people to put like a starter fertilizer down like a triple 19 or a triple 13 or whatever you might have available in your neighborhood. And then I, a lot of times we'll go with that stabilized urea and do like half and half. So like half triple 19 and half stabilized urea at planting. That way, if you're catching that rain, the plants jump out of the ground quick. And then if you do continue to get rain, um, you know, or whatever, you can go back and top it off with some more urea at some point to really get like your brassicas and stuff out of the ground. And your other plots, if you're not doing brassicas, um, you know, clover or something like that, um, you want to do something that like a 624-24 or something like that and try to get that on and help put on as much tonnage you can before you go into the season. That way, you know, the deer aren't mowing it to the ground so fast. Yeah, that, that actually, that makes a ton of sense. And, and you got my, my wheel spinning, you know, as, as Carter alluded to for our property. I mean, we, we have similar situations a lot of times here in the South, or at least, you know, like this, this lease that Carter mentioned is, is up in the mountains. So, you know, it's in the, it's in the Southern region, but it's a little higher elevation and there's, there's, there's almost always a, a good dew in the mornings. Yep. And so like, I remember one year specifically a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, actually, Luke and I, you know, we did we did what we felt like was a, a pretty good job of, of prepping everything um, prior to planting the food plot, and we went ahead and we planted our seed, and then it just you know turned off one of these dry October or excuse me August September spells, and just got you know really poor germination, and the the plot just never really had a chance to to get going at all. And I'm wondering, you know, if if we did like what you're saying, got those got those seedlings established a little bit earlier. Um, got got those leaves developed to where they could they could capture a lot of that that consistent morning dew yep. um to sustain that sustain that moisture um might have might have had better luck there yeah i think i think it definitely helps uh i mean you know the brassica leaves get get big enough where you know they can they can collect quite a bit of that dew i mean you see it you know on your yard even in the grass and stuff if it's dewy and your shoes are getting wet i mean nebraska leaves are collecting even that much more so uh it's you know it's a like i said i feel like it's definitely enough to keep them going or it has been in my experience so um that's what you know in my area i've been trying to push people to do that if we're worried that we're going to have a similar you know a drought situation like we have been to try to but timing, timing of a rain is the key. If you have any chance of rain, you know, in that window of time where, when you think you should be planting, then you definitely need to be planting at that, you know, at that time period, if you can do it. There's just, um, you know, probably the worst, the worst case scenario is if you only get whatever, enough rain to you know, to knock the dust down and it, you know, maybe is enough to germinate your plants and then that's it. Like it, you know, it still needs to be a decent enough rain to hold a little moisture for just a little bit. Cause sometimes, you know, the young, the really young plants, if, um, you know, they just got enough moisture to crack the seed open basically and germinate. And then you get into like, you know, straight days of a hundred degree heat or whatever, 
unfortunately you're probably going to burn your plants will probably burn up and that's probably a situation where you might have to go back in and re replant or fall back on you know something like punch list or something like that when put some cereal grains in with it or something to try to salvage some kind of plot at that yep. point perry did you get a chance to watch that video I did not, man. I, today was kind of hectic, but I did not. But I, I want to real bad. <laughs> you're, uh, you're the the one of you and your son hunting, Jeff. Your blueprint blueprint plot. I mean, they yeah. were almost chest deep in those brassicas. Yeah, it it turned out like I said. I just I, I poured a lot of work. I actually stayed, um, and my my son was part of this. I think I commented in in the interview and in the video and said, you know, he puts in as much work as I do. But we we were literally um, out there. We had that chance of rain in the forecast. We saw it coming. There was a really good chance in our area, and we stayed out of the property. Him and I um, until like eleven o'clock at night, running with our little tractor with the lights on, trying to get. And I just have a little teeny um like subcompact tractor and we stayed out there and got a bunch of plots knocked out till like 11 o'clock at night trying to get seed in the ground and the funny thing is is you can probably see it in the video but i actually missed a spot of my plot seeding in the dark because i couldn't see where i was going i was trying to do it by the headlights of the tractor and whatever and i missed a spot so it was like a triangle right off the side window of my blind that has like got zero seed in it instead of the rest of it. It's kind of funny. I was like, well, I guess we missed that one while we were out there at 11 at night doing it, but it worked, whatever. It's still good. So yeah, yeah. I didn't notice. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you will <laughs> yeah. go back yeah. and find it. Yeah. Now, talk about how awesome it is hunting with your kid man it's yeah it's it's great i um like i said i just i get more enjoyment now i think out of that than i do is actually you know getting one myself and, and what i love about the most is that you know he like i just said he literally is out there um you know with me uh pretty much all summer long um you know helping with projects around around our lease property i mean helping with you know mowing and um you know working on the food plots and you know moving blinds or doing whatever you know doing all the different things that you do running trail cameras moving them to different spots you know all of that he's out there with me like 90 percent of the time so he puts in just as much work as as i do and i think that's the to me that's the important part you know for is that he realizes that our hard work is what made this, you know, made this happen. Like, uh, you know, we, we wouldn't have shot that deer on opening weekend of use season without doing all that preparation that we did. I think that's, that's the most important part. And I think he does realize it, you know, which is what makes me happy. So, and that, that just goes to show you, I mean, not that some guys don't get lucky, but um, you know, in the in the hunting world, when you're trying to target specific deer, target deer, you know, mature bucks, um, whatever, that just goes to show you, you know, the work and the preparation is what it takes to to make that happen. So, yeah, it was really awesome to see. And Perry's been hunting with his son a, a, a lot this season, and I took my daughter for the first time this season. She's three. I didn't take a rifle, but we went out there and we watched some does in the plot and had the best time ever and i'm just 
I was just living vicariously through you. I'm so yeah. amped for that situation one day and you to commend you you did a great job i think you played it really cool the entire time and i'm sure every alarm in your head was going off when that buck came in yeah straight on (laughs) and you had you had like minutes until it was pitch black you couldn't get the camera to focus because it was yes i know i know and i i hated that part of it but yet i think i've had a couple guys tell me that added to the intensity of the story like i was like yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah so i mean literally i mean i did a i did the funny thing is is i we did a closing interview in the blind and i said you know we got like 15 minutes left of legal and i literally put the gopro down and i look up and i said there's a big deer coming and i didn't know what it was and there it's hard to see from my blind my tower blind but there's a like a bowl like a crp bowl that they go down into before they kind of come up into um into the plot and i saw him going down the hill into that bowl or a deer a big deer and then we didn't see him for a couple seconds i tried to get ready to see what it was and henry actually said before me as soon as his head popped up he goes that's stranger (laughs) <laughs> and he come right into the plot. And then, of course, like you said, he, t- he turned and was like eating, facing straight at the blind. And I'm trying to get focused. I grab him for a minute and then it's trying to, you know, so, yeah, it was all down to the wire. I'm checking my phone, seeing how much legal we got left. And I'm trying to get the camera to focus. And then Henry's on him and I'm making sure that he's ready to go. And it's just uh, I wish. I wish it wasn't so in the blind is even darker yet. Right. Yeah. Which makes it tough. I wish, I wish we would have had like second angle, be able to pick that up better. Cause the chaos inside the blind is always just, just incredible. The, the doe hunt that we just did, um, it was kind of a similar situation. It happened really fast. And I had to, I opened the window in front of me. I had to move his whole tripod into my window and then, um, you know, get the gun ready and have him get on the gun and then try to get her on the camera and everything. And I did get that one on second angle and you can see all the chaos going in and blind. So it's, it's fun. I mean, for guys that do it, um, you know, I, I love the filming part of it cause now we always have that to look back on, but, um, but, uh, yeah, it does definitely add another degree of difficulty. So, um, the, the part on that hunt, the only part that I regret is, um, and, and I say it, in, if you've watched the hunt, you'll see it. And if not, but, uh, what happened when he shot, we knew he hit the deer and I bent down and grabbed my binoculars. And then I made sure the camera was on the deer. And when I picked the binoculars back up, I looked out there and I seen a deer running straight out the end of the of, of my food plot well it's a i have the blueprint some standing beans and some more green out there it's a pretty good sized plot and i seen a deer running straight out the end of the plot and i thought that was stranger and what i didn't see when i had been over to try to check the camera and grab my binoculars and henry did see is that stranger actually took a hard left and tipped over right off the plot and he saw it and i did not and so I thought that his deer was walking out the end of the plot. And so he started going crazy in the blind and I told him not to, you can hear him start freaking out. And I said, no, 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 just wait. Cause I thought his deer was standing there. <laughs> and 
you know, kudos to him. He was more focused than I was at the moment, you know, with everything going on, but he actually knew his deer, you know, so, you know, what had happened then is we waited for a little bit. I didn't realize that stranger had already tipped over and was dead. And so we waited for a little bit. We walked back to the truck. We got recovery lights, you know, whatever went back up there. And I started walking down to the middle of the bean field and he kept telling me I was looking in the wrong area. And so, you know, he, we get down to the end of the beans and I was like, buddy, I don't, we don't find any blood. You know, I said, I know you hit him. We just going to keep looking or whatever. And he goes, well, we're in the wrong place, dad. And I'm like, well, I said, I was like, show me where we need to be. And so he did, he, she's like, well, we got to go over here. And so we walked over to, I said, well, here's the edge of the field. I was like, where we stepped off and I mow a path along the food plot. We stepped onto the mowed path and along the edge of the food plot and i said where where do you go and he picked his flashlight up and shined it out in the grass and he goes he's right there <laughs> you know and i'm like you 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 know it was just we had a, it was a great moment but i wish i would have caught that on camera too but i didn't because we were out there looking not knowing what happened or i didn't you know so but it was it was pretty fun that part of it was good so yeah um he he knew that he his deer was dead and I thought it was a different deer. So it was, you know, just one of those things, but that's all part of the, like I said, the fun of it when you're trying to film and, and do all that. So I love yeah. it. And, and hunting with kids can be chaotic in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, that, that adds a whole, a whole element yeah. of chaos just yeah. there. So, I mean, like you said, kudos to him for, for staying focused in the moment at nine years old. I mean, that's, that's pretty dang impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. He, um, he's, you know, the first, the first, I, I don't know um, how your situation is going, but him hunting with a, a firearm, um, I've got him shooting a 350 legend, which by the way, I think is a great caliber for kids to shoot. If that's, you like it? Yeah, I do. Um, I, you know, just, and a lot of people will probably, uh, attest to this. It does not leave a monster blood trail, but it's lethal. Like, if they're hit in the right spot, they're that's a, it's a dead deer. You know what I mean? It just doesn't leave a giant hole, so you don't have a monster blood trail. But normally, if you hit them in the right spot, I'd say the deer's dead within a hundred yards. So, um, you know that's that's my take on a three fifty legend. I think a lot of guys will probably attest to that. But it's a fantastic caliber for youth to use because the gun has hardly any recoil compared to like a muzzle loader or a shotgun or a rifle. You know, I don't know. Some calibers or rifles are probably, you know, a lot more recoil. We don't have a rifle season in Iowa, so it doesn't matter. But, um, but yeah, it's a great caliber. So I, you know, the first he shot it well, like target practicing, you know, we started shooting it three, three years ago. And, uh, anyway, um, he shot it really well, but I will say, try to get him, you know, when the first two years ago, the first buck that he shot with it, it took a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, coaxing or, you know, building his confidence in the blind to get him to squeeze off the trigger at an animal. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know if, um, I don't know if, you know, you've dealt with that or not, Perry, but, um, you know, just that first just that first trying to get them, you know, to shoot an, at an animal is, uh, 
is tough. And w- once he made that first shot and killed that first deer, now his confidence level has just been fantastic. And I think he's executing his shots even, even better yet at this point. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fine line with, with kids and I'm still, you know, figuring it all out as I go with my, with my son. Um, you know, I didn't, yep. I didn't, I didn't start hunting until I was 12. Um, I killed my first deer when I was 12 and that was just kind of the, the rule in our family. So, you know, I haven't, my son hasn't taken a shot at a deer yet. I haven't had him behind the gun on a deer. He's, um, he shot it at squirrels and so forth. And he's, you know, he's yep. in that, he's in that kind of stage where he's, you know, he's, he's fairly comfortable handling a gun, but you know, he, he does feel the pressure of the moment. And I, I've seen that, you know, even just with, with squirrels and so forth. And so, you know, yep. I, I've been trying to take it slow and, and, you know, he's, this this year he was with me when I when I killed a doe. It's actually the first first time that he's been with me when I actually you know pulled the trigger and killed one with him there. He's helped me um, you know recover and, and track a lot of deer and been there for the the processing and so forth. But um, you know it's just it's finding that balance you know of of trying to kind of keep pushing them and to build that confidence, but but not not push them too hard because you don't want them yeah. to to get you yep. know get nervous or get you know get um, get overwhelmed or you know by the by the moment and whatnot so anyway but it's yeah. man there's there's nothing like it it's bringing um <clears throat> bringing your kids into it and introducing them and and seeing the 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 joy and the excitement that that uh that that creates um he my son is funny my son actually um asked me the other day he said when i when i kill my first buck who do you think is going to be more excited me or you i said oh buddy <laughs> It's not even going to be close. I'm going to be, I'm going to yeah, be way right. more ex- as, ex- as, ex- yeah. as excited as you will be, and you will be. Uh, it won't even be close. I'll have you be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's 100 percent the way I was. Uh, I mean, I was just, I was just excited. You know, crazy excited to shoot. Not only have him shoot a buck of that caliber, but just you know the fact that that's one of our target bucks. We you know been watching this deer, knowing that. You know, we wanted to try to, he was on our list of deer that we wanted to try to get on and to have it pay off like that was just, you know, I couldn't even be more, more thankful. I can't, can't wait to get him back from the taxidermist and, uh, and uh, be able to stare at him some more. But, uh, the the only downside to shooting one in September in Iowa is that (laughs) it was like 75 degrees. So I didn't get to see him very long. We took care of him like the next day and then he went right to the taxidermist. So, you know, um, that's how it goes, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I had two specific questions from that video. Jeff, I want to know about the gun setup that you had in there, like the sled and then about your licking branch. Oh yeah. Um, so the, the gun setup that I use, uh, like we just said, it's a 350 legend. Um, I have it topped with a, a, a vortex, um, scope. It's like, a uh, three by nine by 40, I think, or something just, um, you know, pretty general scope. I'd say we, we shoot, um, Henry's confident shooting out and shoots really well out to like a hundred yards. And, um, we put that gun, um, in the blind, we have it set on a bog pod. Um, the actual, not, not like a death grip, um, single point holder, but actual, like a full bog pod that holds, you know, holds the gun on both ends actually. Yep. (laughs) Yep. That was cool. I like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, hopefully, you know, as he gets a little bit bigger, 
um, I'll, I'll be able to get him onto more like a, the death grip, you know, one or something more like a single point holder. So it'll be a little easier to maneuver around, um, in the blind, but, um, uh, shooting out of that like saddle style or whatever there he shoots it really well and i i do think that also does assist with taking some of the recoil out of it yeah. at all so it's just there's really hardly any he just has to get on it you know put it to his you know basically pull it to his shoulder and and get on the scope and then you know ease off on the trigger so it's yeah. it kind of takes all the all the guesswork not having to try to balance the end of the gun or or you know whatever it uh it pivots you know on one point still so he can move it around but it does it holds it really nicely in place so that's been a great setup that's what's worked well for me like i said i i think at, at his size and and whatever it, it just works really well that way yeah i think that's a great tip for anybody hunting with kids or you know our buddy cole reed or anybody else like that who needs a little <laughs> extra help i think that, that's a really good tip right there shots yeah. fired man um what i what i did do um previously in the past before this year you know he's grown a little bit here um this past year so it's it's helped but um before that even i actually took that same um bog pod and then i actually strapped the front of the gun down to the bog pod like put a strap around it to hold the gun so the barrel doesn't jump at all then when he he shoots it you know so it's really just um pulling it against his shoulder you know getting on and 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 you know executing a shot then so i I do think that worked well he doesn't necessarily need that now um as much but i do for for the guys that have you know kids that are getting into it that's a i think a something to try if they're having a problem keeping a gun from jumping you know or whatever um that's a good way to to try it but uh, yeah, it's that setup has worked really well, and I'm super confident with him shooting. Like I said, I mean, out to 100 yards, he's putting shots in the same place that I'm putting the shots. So um, I would let him shoot anything inside of inside of that range. Um, that gun's probably capable of shooting a little further, but there's really no need. I, we try to set up. <laughs> I honestly try to set up the farm to keep everything in archery range. So um, you know, if I can, so. Um, just, you know, having that gun shooting a hundred yards is a benefit. Stranger was right at, right at 50 yards. That's, um, you know, when wow. he shot it. So that, you know, it was an easy shot for him. That's so, awesome. yeah. And then, um, uh, to answer your second part of that question, this, the scrape tree, I utilize those, um, a bunch. I don't know if you guys do it all, but, um, in, in my area, or on my particular farm, I won't even say my area, but my particular farm is a lot of open, um, like hilltops and open areas and then like timbered draws and stuff. But I plant a lot of my food up on the hills in the open area and pull the deer, you know, out of the bedding or out of their, you know, wooded draws and up to, to me to the field. So to put a scrape tree, um, out in the plot is just a great way to try to bring them again in into like archery range you know um you know that's my main focus most of the time so putting that scrape tree out there at 25 30 yards um and and trying to get a scrape going there it's it's just one of those things i mean you'll see a lot of other people in the industry doing the same same type of thing basically creating a mock scrape over a 
um, you know, a, one of those scrape trees of some kind. Um, I, I stick a four by four in the ground, just a regular treated four by four. And then um, I drill a hole through it at the top. And I, um, in my area, uh, I like to use a pin oak branch. That's just, um, they hold their leaves for a long time. Um, so I cut a branch off of like a pin oak and I've done it with others. I've done it with like a cedar branch and some willows or something like that and kind of make just a, a big bushy branch that sticks out of there. And I stick it through the hole and around a couple of screws through to hold it in place. And then, you know, I'll start them in August is generally when I start them. And you'll see that they take to them pretty quick. I mean, it's it's new. You know, a lot of times if it hasn't been there before, it's something new to them. So they a lot of times will check it out. And it honestly... If you can get the does in the early season, like August, to start trying to figure out what it is and start hitting it, the bucks will follow it like immediately. I mean, that's it's it's pretty crazy how quick it takes. Like one one good doe to hit that thing, and you know you'll have bucks on it soon. And then once the bucks start hitting it, I think it's they all start to hit it because of the fact that they're trying to see who's hitting it, you know, um, right. type thing. So it's worked really well. It's a great place um to get inventory um you know for for us and you know we can't um you know prior to the season we can't do any sort of baiting or or you know feed or or anything we have to pull it you know 30 days or whatever it is prior to season so if you're trying to get pictures um you know still in in that part of the time period it's a great way to do it put it on those those scrapes and then going through the early season and and i find even now um, I'm still getting pictures on them. So it's, it's still one of those things where I, th- I think it's, you know, once they start using it or they use it for a whole season, they kind of, um, it's a, you know, communication or, or, you know, their, their way of just kind of seeing who's in the neighborhood, I think a lot of times. And so they'll, the, the does hit it, the bucks hit it, they, you know, all the deer seem to, to migrate towards it. So I've, I've really found those work well, especially when you're talking about, trying to get something into archery range um you know when you're talking about like my one plot that's you know up where my big tower blind is like where we shot stranger out of that whole plot um is like five acres so it's you know i i have some standing beans and then you know green and whatever so you want to try to obviously get you know the deer in archery range and if they're coming out they could eat anywhere out there then you want to try to put them as close to you as as possible so that's i I like it it's worked well for me i don't know if you guys do anything similar to that or have tried it but it it works well well i i rely your scale is different than mine i think (laughs) here and i we hunt the mountains and i i have to rely on finding other trees i just find trees to either create a scrape or find an existing scrape and then i set up around that as opposed to, I like this way. I saw that and I was like, that's pretty cool. And I was like, is that a four by four stuck in the damn ground? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I like that because you <laughs> dictate where the scrape is going to be. So yeah, that's a tactic I'm going to, I'm going to take away there. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, to scale that down, you could do that on any plot. If you have a half acre plot and you have a tree that works really good, you know, go out in your plot at 20 yards, 25 yards and stinky, you know, stick you a four by four. Or, I mean, I've done it with, 
you know, I've done it with just like another tree, like go cut you down a little tree and, and stick it in there. Just make sure you got branches sticking off at the right height, you right. know, when you trim it up. But, um, I did that this year and, um, a plot up on the North end of my farm and I actually had to, uh, trim out like a small little oak tree. And I, I don't even, I don't like cutting oaks down if I don't have to, but I repurposed it and <laughs> turned it into, uh, turned it into this, uh, a scrape tree basically. So I did the same thing. I dug the hole and stuck it in there and trimmed off all the other branches and just left a couple that, that stick out like a scrape would. And they've hit that thing just as hard as those, the other scrapes. So, um, yeah, it works well. You can do it with about, with about anything, but it's, I think, like I said, I don't know. It's one of those deals where it's like something new to them or it's something different that's out in the plot. And they want to go check it out and see yep. what's going on. I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, worked well for me. Yeah. They're, they're curious critters and it, it doesn't take long. I mean, it, it's something like that, that, that's obviously not, not a threat to them. Um, right. you know, I, I went a lot of years, unfortunately, and I, I kind of kicked myself not really understanding, um, how to, and, and the benefit of using mock scrapes. And it's only something that, that we've started doing in the past, past few years, really. And, uh, and like you say, it's a, it's a great way to get inventory. Um, you know, especially we're the same way, like you have to have all any, any minerals or, or, you know, supplemental feed out or, you know, up 30 days before the season starts. And so. And it's like, well, you know, how, how are we going to get inventory of, of the bucks we're after? Well, you know, you either find right. the scrapes, the natural scrapes, or you, or you make the mock scrapes and, and, um, and put them where you want them and, and use that for your inventory. And like you say, to, to close the distance on those archery setups. Yeah, I, I think it's a great tool. I mean, I, I know a lot of people do utilize it, but it, it definitely works um, well, you know, from my experience, I, I try to do it in almost, you know, almost all my plots that have any size to them at all. I, and, you know, are ones that I have setups that are in a blind or something like that, or even a tree stand, you know, on a, one edge of it where, you know, you, you need them to come down the plot a ways or something. It's a great tool for, for doing that. Something else that's a great tool that you see in the beginning of that video, I think, is your access in and out to that stand. Y'all are so well protected. Is that your, obviously, uh, hopefully your seed blend, the, the supporting wall? Yeah. So, um, honestly, that's like, um, in that particular instance behind my tower blind this year, I actually put my, just my upland blend in there. So it's, it's just Milo, um, sunflowers and some millet, um, or whatever, but the Milo gets still, um, like four foot tall. I didn't need, um, I planted like an acre of it behind that blind because it blocks the whole hilltop. It's kind of hard to describe, but that, that blind is up on the tallest point of the hill and I access it from, um, the hill on the backside of the blind and it's pretty steep. Um, if you watch my other videos, in fact, I just posted one a couple weeks ago, but, uh, a buddy and I were video on walking up the hill and it's a killer. I, I park at the bottom of the hill below the pond. There's another pond in this pasture and I park down there every time. So that nothing in the, the back of my property or the South end of my farm knows like that I'm there. And I walk up this killer hill every time to get to my <laughs> blind. <laughs> and so, um, that, that Milo and, uh, you know, the sunflowers and stuff is still like four foot tall in it, you know, just with the roll of the hill, nothing that's 
to the south of me can has any idea that I crawl up in that blind. So it it works fantastic. Um, the supporting wall um, is great for that too. I just in that circumstance didn't need it to be ten feet tall. You know. Right. So so yeah, uh, I do utilize that. Um, one of my other setups, um, I do have the supporting wall, and it does a similar thing where it blocks asset access. You know, for me to get into the blind, it's a great, but. Um, just depends on kind of the lay of the land and whatever, but yeah, it's great. Um, I, I can sneak in and out of that blind, um, literally at about any time. Um, and the deer that are to the South of me have zero idea that I'm, that I'm in there. So, um, I have a lot of my buddies now that start making fun of me about the fact that I've hunted blinds almost this whole year, but I'm telling you, um, I don't know if you utilize blinds at all, but these are just the, um, I've got two of them now, two blinds that I've, I've built. They're just six by six fully enclosed, um, blinds and I can close the windows up in them and hunt them on winds that aren't maybe the best um and stay sealed up inside the blind and and nothing has a clue that i'm there i can also obviously keeps you out of the wind um just easier to hunt i don't you know i don't know maybe it's me and getting old i don't know but uh (laughs) you know it's just one of those deals where uh um anyway yeah it's just one of those deals where i like using you know using the blind to um you know, like a biggest thing I've found is the wind situation where I can hunt that thing on a wrong wind where it's actually blowing the other way. And if you keep it sealed up, um, it's, it's great. They have no clue you're there. I think you'll, you'll see other guys doing that too, like the Drury's and some, you know, other people are doing, using similar setups. You can put those things in places where as long as your access is good and you can get in and not blow everything out, um, you know, using a blind to keep sealed up in it is, is a great way to do it. You know, then I only open the window when it's time to make a shot, you know, um, well, it's worked great well for kids for too. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great for kids. It works well for obviously Henry still at nine years old does not sit super still. So, uh, <laughs> you know, he's in there moving around and whatever, or eating some snacks or whatever it might be. If you got a longer hunt, you know, it's great, great for that kind of thing. So yeah, it's obviously it's fantastic for that. Um, so yeah, I, I utilize them quite a bit, um, probably more and more as I, you know, continue to do things, especially in my situation where I'm having to try to pull deer to where I'm at instead of me going, you know, to where the deer are at, um, just works. It works really well. I, I do dearly love to tree stand hunt just for visibility purposes and, and, you know, I just love it, but, um, the blinds have definitely, um, been a game changer when it comes to some of those things and like you just said getting getting youth involved and and whatever and then again with with the filming side of things it really helps too it allows you a lot more movement around in the blind and things like that where you don't have that so much in a tree yeah for sure thinking ahead to this spring jeff what should hunters be thinking about as we're wrapping up? Well, we're halfway through. Well, halfway through? Yeah, about halfway through December. What do we need to start thinking about moving forward, you know, to January, February, March um, times from a food plot point of view? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, obviously right now, um, 
the next thing that will really get started is, like I said, the frost seeding of clover. But I'm thinking forward to like even next year at this point. Um, if you're if you're looking at planting like a fall plot that's gonna you know have food and sustained food on your property into this time of the season, um, you you want to look at some of the blends like Blueprint um, or you know even Tin Ring or our Punch List or whatever that's gonna have stuff in there that'll you know, sustained food this late into the season that'll put on the, you know, the tonnage, have the bulbs that they'll come back and eat, you know, at this point in the season. Um, Cause your, your number one goal, obviously as a hunter would be to, and, and just as an outdoorsman would be to try to hold, you know, the deer on your property as many months out of the year as you can, you can hold them. I mean, that's how you're going to have the best luck and that's how you're going to keep your herd healthy. That's how you know, all those things are going to happen. If you can hold them on your, your property or in your area, you know, obviously you need, um, you need cover and then, you know, you have to have food. So at the end of the day, um, you know, if they have to go off your property or go somewhere else to get food through this time of the season, they're going to end up, you know, especially if you get inclement weather, bad, long, long weather, um, super cold or snow or, whatever you might get, they'll bed closer and closer to food and eventually they'll not be staying on you, you know, anymore. So your goal would be to try to hold them, you know, on your property. So having the right plots in place, you know, to hold them this time of year is the most, the most important thing. So you're looking at those plots that have the tonnage and then, you know, going forward into the spring, um, you know, you're looking at continuing with clover, um, in the ground to keep clover going. And then, you know, through the summer, um, you know, most of the, most of that would be your clover type plots or like that upland blend that you could plant a little earlier, you know, or something like that. But if you're utilizing, you know, that kind of thing, but if not really, honestly, clover is your best bet to go through the summer months to keep food on the property. Um, so the deer continue to use it and then rotate back into, you know, a fall type, a fall blend. But your goal would be to try to continue with some sort of food. I, I don't like um, keeping, you know, your plots completely, you know, like if you just put in a fall plot, let's say you do blueprint. I don't like just leaving nothing in the plot for the whole, you know, duration of time and waiting till you replant next year. One, you're going to fight weeds unless you go in there and spray it off all summer long, you know, or whatever. But, um, you know, honestly, I think your best. Um, your best bet is to try to do some sort of crop rotation. It's better for your soil. It's better to keep weeds down, um, that sort of thing. So rotating between clover and your fall plot is a great way to do it. So if you put something in the ground like punch list, that has got clover in it. You'll already have a jump start going to spring. The clover will come up. You could frost seed some more clover into it. Um, you know, if you want to, to keep some clover going and then Again, if you choose to go back in the fall and put a fall blend in, then you either till your clover under or you spray it off and kill it and plant in your plant in your fall blend. So in my opinion, that's a great way to do it. It's great for your soil. That way the clover is going to generate nitrogen in your soil and then you'll pick it back up with your, you know, blueprint or something like that. So just a great way to do it. And again, helps hold deer on your property year round. Yeah, and in the southeast here, when do you think would be the right time to start thinking about putting that clover down? Um, you 
you, you, I mean, you could do it in the southeast probably, um, feb, you know, February. I don't know when you're when you start getting to the point of, uh, um, I don't know how. I mean, do you have how late do you have frost in I, your yeah. your area? I'll plant my garden probably the second week of, well, sometimes the first week of April. Okay. Although I've been bitten by that before. And, right. <laughs> but yeah. Yes. <laughs> April, yeah. Probably. yeah. So um, frost eating, I would probably start then in in late February to March, you know, or whatever. So you're going to have, you know, still quite a few, hopefully quite a few frosts, you know, to to suck that seed down into the ground. So, you, you know, you want the soil to freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw to bring that seed into the ground. Yes. And, uh, you know, hopefully some moisture with it. And then it'll really start taking off once your temperatures get up over that kind of that 50 degree range when you start, you know, having some clover that'll start wanting to take off. Um, once your soil temps get up to kind of that 50 degree range is when you'll really start noticing that stuff start jumping up. Nice. That was my own personal selfish question. Yeah. Just <laughs> no, that's great. Well, we you, should do it, Perry, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, that was, I mean, it, it's, uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about frosting in the past. It's a great tool. I think it's a, a tool that's underutilized by a lot of, you know, property owners and property managers. Um, it was, that was literally the extent of the, of the food plotting that I did this past season, um, which we did, Evan and I did some frost seeding of some clover in the, you know, in the, in the winter time last year. And then we, we had some, we had some logging activities, some timber activities on the, on the family farm this year. And it, it just really kind of got in the way of, of food plotting. But, um, anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic tool. And like you say, to have that, to have that rotational aspect of, of something going on year round you know, that's keeping the deer there. And, and with something like the legume of clover that's fixing that nitrogen, it, it absolutely will benefit your soil health. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, it's a great way to do it. Um, also kind of, you know, once the clover gets established, it'll help with weed control. You won't have to fight as many weeds off. It'll choke them out. You know, at some point you can um, keep it in check with some mowing if need be and stuff like that too. That way, um, you know, again, it's just, um, less for you to spend on chemicals and, and, uh, I mean, there's just so many, there's so many benefits there that, uh, you know, I just, I know a lot of guys, you know, will do it, do it that way. I think it's a great way to do it, um, to rotate. That's what I've been personally doing myself now and definitely found it a lot easier, um, than having to go back. If you just let a field go, stagnant you know or whatever you got to go mm. back there and mow down four foot tall weeds and right. and kill everything off again and then work that into the soil or try to you know depending on what you or how you work your plots if you're doing more of the you know the the poor man um style or whatever then you have all that all that weed you know all the weeds to deal with which is not what you want to deal with which the clover will help you with you know keeping that in check that's what I do. It's a disaster every year. So maybe I should start implementing some clover. <laughs> yes. Um, I, you know, my quick start clover blend would be, you know, my suggestion for that. It's fast growing. Um, it's got three different varieties of clover in it. It's got um, a medium red and um, a ladino and a white um, clover in it. And um, 
it's just a great and well, it's a everlasting i guess too is in there and that's great for any more shade if you have shady spots like you're talking about some stuff in the timber or something like that um that everlasting clover is great for um those low areas and or shady spots and stuff like that so um with that with that in there that's just a great one to rotate um and it you know the the quick the quick germinating and quick growing is what you're looking for if you're going to do it in a rotational basis um the foundations trio blend that i have um is all whites and two of them are what i would call slow kind of slow starters so if you're looking to you know continue a clover plot and do a solid clover plot um going forward that's probably the blend that you want to do but if you're doing a rotational one um, you want something that that jumps out of the ground and establishes quick so that way again you help with the weed situation and and all of that so that's you know that's kind of the best way to do it i'll tell guys a lot of times that you know start with the quick start and then if you want to keep it going as clover you know top seed it with the the trio and if you're going to rotate it in then you work the trio or the um, quick start in and then put in your fall fall blend over top of it well perry and i will definitely be reaching out again oh yeah Uh, i'll be ready (laughs) beginning 2024 (laughs) to talk some more details but uh you know we're rolling up on an hour here anything coming down the pipe anything new over at buck fever for 2020 yeah um i'm working on i'm working on a couple new um new mixes i've been experimenting with a couple of things i don't know um one of them may come later this summer i'm working on um, a variety with or a, a blend that has um some some different varieties of peas in it and some oats um that are kind of a more cold tolerant oat for places like the midwest or you know places like even in your area probably where you still you know the weather gets chilly um the oats that'll last um late and stay green um later into the season um i have it and i have a few of uh my staffers that have it in the ground this year and it's been doing really well um so we're going to see how we get with that. And I do have um, another blend that's hopefully, I don't know if it'll come out this year or not. I need one more year on it, I think, before um, I really put it out there. But I have another blend um, that I'm going to be calling the Masters Mix that is um, a perennial blend that has um, a bunch of different stuff in it. Some different clovers, some chicory, um, and a couple other um, forb, forbs in it. And I, I think it's going to be a great mix this year. Um, was a tough one because a lot of people experience drought. So it's hard to test some things when you're talking about the drought and stuff like that. And, and just, um, it's, it's doing well, it's survived the drought, but I want to continue to experiment with it a little bit more before I start putting it out there for, for people to buy, but it's fun to test these kind of things. Um, I'm always open for, um, suggestions from people in different areas to hear what people like to use in different areas. Cause it's, you know, across the country, we have a lot of variants in our weather conditions, soil types, so on. Um, but you know, I, I try to cater to all areas and not just the mid, the Midwest. So, um, we do have other people with that, those mixes in the ground in different areas too, to make sure that they're, they're going to be working everywhere so i can confidently put it in your hands when it you know gets to that point so 
it's fun um, to to mess around with those kind of things and see um, not only how stuff grows, but how the wildlife reacts to it. So, yes, we'll we'll keep keep everybody posted. We're not uh, we're not far away from trade show season. I will tell everybody if you have any listeners uh, on here that are going to be in or that are from Nebraska area, um, we have a show coming up in January. Um, the third weekend in January, I believe it is, um, in, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, it's their, they're basically like their deer classic or whatever. It's their big game expo. So I will be at that show with a booth. Nice. So, um, anybody looking to come, come out and visit, I'd, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, we're, we're getting to that time of the year too, where the trade shows start picking up. Yeah. We're actually wading into it kind of whole hog for the first time this year too are you going to be at the iowa deer classic by any chance yes absolutely all right we will meet up with you we're going to find you that would be great yes yes i uh i have a i have a booth there every year so that's uh it's basically um basically my home hometown crowd there so cool you can show (laughs) us the ropes yep yep that'd be great honestly yeah it'd be great to to be able to uh shake your hand and meet up face to face. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll tag the, uh, we'll tag the YouTube channel, wildest dreams TV in the, in the show notes for sure. And I'll drop the link to that. Uh, yeah. Video um, that, talked about. Be awesome. I love it. We, we, we love feedback from people. Um, we have a Facebook page on wildest dreams TV as well. Um, and you can also follow along on the Buck Fever Seed Company um, Facebook or website or any of those places. But yeah, the Wildest Streams TV, um, we've been putting um, pretty much weekly blogs for the whole season along. So, it, you know, for guys that are looking for a watch, you can basically go back to all the way from when we started doing the prep work this summer um, on the property all the way till where we sit right now. And we'll continue through the end of the season. So it's a kind of a cool um, way to follow along um, a story with myself and my good uh, good friend Derek Weber is in it with me and he is doing you know similar stuff on his farm so it's it's a great little follow and um, some good content we think for everybody to watch so yeah I agree I like that format a lot they've been fun to watch Perry you got any Perfect. closing thoughts for us yeah man uh, just Really appreciate your time as always, Jeff. Uh, sounds like there's some exciting things um, in the works over there at Buck Fever, and it'd be awesome to to meet up with you at some of these trade shows. And and uh, you got you got my wheels spinning as usual on some things that we can do on uh, on our little piece of dirt that we hunt up there. Um, I've got I've got uh, all sorts of grandiose plans as always for the upcoming year. And uh, as Carter said, we'll definitely be reaching out. Um, to, yeah. to pick your brain some more and, and see what we can do. So, I, like I said, we we didn't do a whole lot in terms of, of food plus this year, and it kind of it kind of bummed me out to be honest. So I'm you know I'm uh, <laughs> I'm gonna be ready to jump in head first in 2024. So perfect, yeah, yep. Reach out anytime. Um, we'll put a plan together. Sounds good, man. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you jumping on, Jeff, and taking the time, man. Always a pleasure. Listeners, as always, we appreciate the hell to you guys. We'll talk to you next yep. week. Thanks, everybody.